Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. You know I'm a big fan of enjoying life while still being smart financially. That's why I love ButcherBox. I can get a variety of high-quality meat, seafood, chicken, and pork at an amazing value, all with exclusive member deals delivered to my door with free shipping always. One thing I just never wanted to cut out of my spending plan is eating good food. And with ButcherBox, I don't have to, and neither do you. Where else can you get free protein for a whole year? Yes, you heard that right. One of my favorite go-to dinners is a salmon bowl. I'm not even a huge salmon lover, but ButcherBox's wild-caught salmon is Oh, so good. I make a nice little marinade, saute some veggies, cook the salmon, and throw in some weiss. And it is an amazing dinner. If you want to take less trips to the grocery store and always have prepared meat in the freezer for a lot less money, you need ButcherBox in your life. Sign up at butcherbox.com etm and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash etm. As Erin Lowry says in her new book, Broke Millennial Takes on Investing, it's easy to think you're not ready or rich enough to start investing. But what if you're exactly at the right place right now to start investing and dramatically change your future? Millennial Money with Shauna Compton Gaines. It will expand your brain. Everyone knows that putting money aside in savings is really important. But then what? Should you keep your savings locked in a CD for a higher rate or keep them liquid in a money market? Can your checking account help you save too? 
or is it about creating the right combination? We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about the savings options that are right for you. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com. Member FDIC. In the sixth grade, we had to do this assignment where we picked a stock and then we had to track it with fake money, of course, for one month. And I remember thinking, why in the world would I want to do this? I hate the idea of losing money. I mean, anytime somebody would want to bet me or something like that, I'm like, no, of course not, because I don't want to lose the bet. And then a really funny thing happened at the end of the month. I actually had made more money. Now, of course, it was fake money, so that's a given, but it really planted the seed for me. So no matter where you're at, scared to start investing, or maybe you've started investing in a 401k, an IRA, or a Roth IRA, we could all use a little more education around investing. So our guest today, Erin Lowry, you may know her as Broke Millennial, has a new book out, and she's talked to a lot of really, really smart people to help demystify the how, when, where, and what's when it comes to investing. So Erin, how do we know if we're actually ready to start investing? Ooh, good question. Two things. One, I have a checklist in the book, so that actually helps you do the rundown. And I call it putting on your financial oxygen mask because I feel like you have to hit this certain list of goals in order to acknowledge if you're actually ready. But I want to back it up first and say, when you put money into a 401k or an IRA, you are investing. And unfortunately, I think most people do not consider themselves investors when they have a retirement account. And I'm also assuming you don't have your money sitting in cash, which unfortunately some people do. And that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> but it's really important to acknowledge yourself as an investor if you have money in the market. And I think that part of the problem is it's really a misnomer how we talk about that because we say, we'll save for retirement. And we don't say invest for retirement. So one, I want to change that language. Two, I want most people to acknowledge that, hey, I probably either am already an investor or I definitely could put at least half a percent, one percent, five percent of my paycheck into a retirement vehicle. Now, we're also talking in the book about investing in taxable accounts, so accounts outside of your retirement vehicles. And I think a lot of times what happens is we have this impression that investing is just for the wealthy, is just for people who are older, we're just not ready yet, or it's pure intimidation. Because honestly, the language of the market is not easy and it's not intuitive. Yes. And so it can be really easy to feel like, oh, I don't understand this and I'm just not going to mess with this. Yeah, I think you made such a great point too. that idea of of saving for retirement. I feel like we're also tired of hearing that, especially a lot of younger people who really have a lot of struggles where there's student loan debt and there's lots of pulls and tugs on their bank account every single month. The idea of saving for retirement just feels like, well, I'll tackle that 10 years from now or 20 years from now, whenever I pay off the student student loan debt. But I like changing the verbiage to investing because I, I think, don't you think that makes it more proactive? That feels like you're actually doing something. It does. And one of my favorite quotes in the book is this idea from Jill Schlesinger about how when you invest, your money does some of the heavy lifting for you. And if the idea of investing makes you totally nauseous, you could just save, but you're going to have to save so much more money to reach the same goal. 
I just loved how she simplified that concept down into this amazing soundbite, A, and then B, she's like, you're right. If I'm investing, my money is working for me. And if my money is just sitting in a savings account, even if it's earning a 2% interest rate or more, which is what you can currently get in the marketplace, it's still not doing the same sort of heavy lifting it could be doing if you invest it. Yeah, that's such a good point. And what do you think besides the quote unquote, I don't have the money to invest? What do you think is the biggest holdout besides that for investing? Did anything come up like in your research for the book where you're like, okay, a lot of people are not investing because of X, Y, and Z? Well, you hit the nail on the head with student loans. I mean, that's certainly a huge barrier to entry for a lot of people. And I think the other big thing is, you know, we feel like, oh, I've got so many competing financial obligations, especially when you're younger. And maybe it's paying down debt, trying just to break out of a paycheck to paycheck cycle, kind of figuring out how to live life in general. But to be honest, one of the things that came up for me a couple of times while researching this book is that life does not get less complicated. (laughs) No. (laughs) And I think that's such an important thing to be considering is it's really important. And this is so cliche of me to say, and I know so many personal finance experts harp on this, but you got to build the foundational habits early. Because if you don't, and if you decide to wait 10, 15 years until the student loans are paid off, well, yeah, maybe you're making more money, but also maybe you got married and started a family. Maybe you bought a house. Maybe a medical crisis comes up. I mean, so many things can happen. And if you haven't started, even if it's just a small amount early, you've really kicked yourself in the shins in terms of compound interest working for you. But also it's it's not a habit and it's hard to turn that around in the future. Yeah, exactly like the the notion that it's never the right time to start a family or there's never like this magical moment. It's the same thing like you're talking about with investing because there's always going to be stuff that comes up in life. And if you keep saying, well, I'll wait until this is solved or I'll wait until I get a job where I'm making more money or whatever it may be, there is going to be a million things that come up that sooner or later you're going to look and go, oh, my gosh, like I've missed out on 10 years or 20 years or whatever it is. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, you know, I did really like that idea that a few people brought up to me of life doesn't get less complicated because it's true. But I also really do think it's critical to be building those habits early. And that's one thing that I like to say, small incremental amounts really do add up. And if right now you have a lot of competing financial goals, totally understandable. I do too. I get it. But if your employer matches you on a 401k, please try to at least put 1% in and get that 1% match so you're automatically at 2%. And then every six months, try to push it up by another 1% until you reach your goal. And you'll be surprised when you make these really small incremental steps, you can get to your goal quite quickly compared to, well, in 10 years, I'll just do 10%. Might not work out that way. That's such great advice. And I love you shared a story with me about your dad trying to get you and your sister interested in investing in high school. You had no time for it, which I completely understand. But your sister actually, you said, made some like really smart investment choices. What was her secret sauce to investing as she as she shared with you? Well, she's it's such a funny thing because she would consider herself the quote unquote real broke millennial. She's three years younger than I am. We're in different phases of our lives financially. So she likes to kind of ribbit me a little bit with that. And 
She did make a lot of great investing advice slash choices early on, one of which was in high school. I believe I was a senior. She would have been a freshman. And my dad was just trying to get us interested in investing. And I just always liked the idea early on of, nope, I know where my money is. I'm just putting it in a savings account. We're fine, which is not the right strategy. And I talk in the book extensively about how my mindset got changed on that regard. But my sister, we were living in China at the time. This was back in 2006, 2007. And I don't know where she came across it in her research, but she was like, I think China Mobile is going to be a big thing. Well, yeah, (laughs) duh. So she, you know, I don't think she actually stayed invested in it for a particularly long time, but that's kind of family folklore of Kayla making this great investing choice very early on. And then later, a couple of years later, she studied film in college and she was in college and told my dad, you know, I think Netflix is going to turn this around. You should consider investing in Netflix when they were kind of going through their tumultuous time. Well, my dad did a good job of making some money off Netflix too on my sister's recommendation. So she might just be a savant and we're all just waiting for her to come out with her next pick. Right, exactly. We need to like pay pay attention to her. You know, my brother was somewhat like that. Uh, my dad's been in the financial industry his whole career, so he kind of feels like he knows what companies are hot and which companies aren't. But really early on, my brother's like, you know, I think Apple is going to do some big things. I mean, of course, this was many years ago, and my dad's like whatever. Apple's just this little computer company. But, you know, of course, they're kicking themselves because if they had actually bought Apple then and held on to it, they would be quite happy now. So it's always interesting. You never know when when someone's going to have some inspiration that you think maybe you should check that out more or, or think about that. It's true. And sometimes it takes the fresh perspective of youth, I guess, is what it is as well. Exactly. So so when did the shift then happen for you when you started to become interested in personal finance? Was that in college or was that shortly after your dad trying to talk to you in high school? Well, I would say I've always been interested generally in personal finance. I just was never really interested in investing because it always seemed quite scary. And I, since a little girl, I've been a bit of a money hoarder. I used to keep this little (laughs) checklist in, I had a tin that I used to keep my money in as a a little girl. And I had a little notebook in there that I would jot down like, oh, I added $10 today. Here's my total. And I was goal setting and all these kind of very nerdy money things as just a little kid. And somewhere along the way, it finally pivoted to me being like, oh, you need to invest in order to really amass wealth. And that really happened going into my senior year of college did not start investing yet, but that's when the light bulb kind of went off for me. And part of it was a conversation that I had with my dad where I had spent part of the summer interning and luckily was able to actually get a paid internship. I went into it under the assumption it would be unpaid. Long story short, ended up earning some money. And while I was interning, I actually started watching Clark Howard. And I remember in this, yeah, and I remember during one episode, he said something about, well, if you're a college kid who's making money and it's taxable, you should look into a Roth IRA. And I brought this up to my dad and he goes, yeah, it's a good idea actually for you to start investing. I went, well, no, I'm not investing. I'm putting money into this thing called a Roth IRA. It's for retirement. (laughs) And he goes, well, yes, but that's investing. I was like, oh, then I'm not ready. (laughs) And... He was like, wait a second. 
And he goes into this whole story. This was actually summer of 2010. America's starting to pull out of the recession. And he starts to tell me this whole story about just how much money my parents lost on paper when the recession first happened and how important it was for them to just stay the course, keep investing, not panic, not sell, because they had built this well-diversified portfolio that was in line with the goals that they had set. They didn't need the money in any sort of an immediate term. So they were able to really withstand the beating that the market was taking. And not only withstand it, they made a good amount of money off it because they were able to keep investing while the market was down. And the way that he told this story, which I'm not doing total justice to, but I do in the book, the way that he told this story to me really did start to pivot my mindset because in real life, I am very risk averse. I have such a little goody goody two shoes, never had a tardy at school, <laughs> never had a detention, like that whole shtick. But when it comes to investing, I'm quite aggressive. And it's very much in large part to how my dad explained the market to me. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just such a great story. And, you know, how would you tell somebody in particular, this tends to be a trend I find more with women than men. And that's not stereotyping. That's just, I think, the accuracy. More women tend to be a little bit more conservative when it comes to investing. But what advice would you give someone who feels like you did in that moment? Like, whoa, 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 I don't want anything to do with investing. I'm really nervous. Like, I, I, I feel risk adverse. For me, a big thing was educating myself about investing because that is how you get over the intimidation factor is you learn it. And you don't have to understand all the ins and outs. I certainly don't. And I literally wrote a book on it. But the book <laughs> is meant to be for beginners and rookies. It's not for day trading. It's not for options. It's not for futures. It's not for all the stuff that you see in the Wall Street-esque movies. That's not the game that we're playing. And learning the language of the market is really the very first step in getting over that intimidation factor. Because to allow me to put on my tinfoil conspiracy theory hat for a moment, I kind of feel like they deliberately make it complicated to make us feel stupid, like we can't do it ourselves. Yes, that is absolutely yep, exclamation point. Truly my theory on the language that gets used. One of my favorite examples is expense ratio and basis point. Why do we have two different ways of explaining the exact same concept? And basis point just sounds way too complicated. So to tell me, well, that has 50 basis points. I'm like, just say a half a percent expense ratio. Like, why are we calling this two different things? And I, I feel like once you start to learn the language and decode it for yourself, then you can understand what people are saying. You don't feel like you're going to be taken advantage of. You can read a prospectus to understand what the fees are that are being charged on your accounts, and you just start to feel in control. And in the book, I liken it to this whole experience for me in algebra class. Math was not my jam in school, which is really funny that I write about money professionally now, but I did not love math. And I can remember sitting in algebra class and just thinking, I understand what's going on in my Japanese class more than I understand what's going on here. Like you are speaking a foreign language to me. What the heck is a coefficient? I don't understand what you're asking me to solve for. And investing is the same thing. If you don't understand the language, you, you can't make a plan. So that's the first step. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited. And it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. 
Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash etm to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash etm. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals. So you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. 
That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash ETM for your extended 30-day free trial. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. <laughs> I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one time service, Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash E-T-M. Go to joindeleteme.com slash E-T-M and use code E-T-M for 20% off. So rather than tackle and ask Sean a question today, I actually have a question for you. All right, a little game of which would you choose? Okay, so you can either choose that you're a billionaire, but you only have 10 years to live, or you're penniless, but will enjoy good health until 99 years of age. So what's it going to be? What would you choose? I'll give you a minute to think about it. Okay, maybe just a second. (laughs) I have a feeling that most of you are probably shouting at me, I would, of course, choose the billion dollars in 10 years, right? Well, I think this question is such a good one to think about and also to think about in terms of your relationship to money and without judgment at all, because what would it mean for you to have a million dollars? What would you even do with this? Would it change your life? Would it change who you are? I'm sure you're probably thinking, yeah, of course, Sean, I would totally change my life because I would have maybe freedom to do things or I would maybe be able to buy something that I've always been longing to buy or maybe I'd be able to pay off that debt and then that would release me. Whatever it is, I'm sure that there are so many different things that you would do with a million dollars or a billion dollars. In fact, I mean, I would probably at first travel the world and I'd visit literally every place that I wanted to go. I would probably also do something like really philanthropic, like fund a program to teach financial literacy all over the world. And of course, I would probably help fund my friends and family's dreams as long as they were 
within reason. <laughs> and I, I'd probably eat a burger and fries every day from the restaurants that I'll claim to have the best burger and then go on a search for truly the best burger and fry combo ever. That's pretty much what I would do for for 10 years. And I I, I know that sounds crazy, but <laughs> maybe that's just my like a version of supreme happiness. But the whole point of this is, I, I think it's good sometimes to take a time out and really reassess your relationship with money. And this is something that we don't talk a lot about, specifically in the United States. It's not something that we do. We don't sit and think about our money in these types of terms. We only think about, well, I've got to save a million dollars by X age, or I need to be making 150000 or 250000 and I need to buy this $500,000 house and all of these things in order to be happy. But the point is, is that actually the right decision for you and your life? Maybe yes, maybe no. So are you living solely to make a million bucks or launch the next big business idea? Or are you truly living and harnessing your money to get you where you want to go? What makes sense for you? And there's nothing wrong, of course, with making a million bucks or building a great business or, or buying that house that you're dreaming of. There's nothing wrong with that stuff. But it has to be if that's what's best for you. And I think we get so caught up in, especially with social media and with the news and just everything being glamorized, that there's this level of, well, we're not perfect or we're not worthy or we're not doing things right if we don't have these things in our life. And I call BS on that because I had a lot of things. I lost a lot of things. And through that process, I realized like, wow, <laughs> those things actually didn't do anything for me. And that may sound so cliche, like, of course, well, you don't have the things anymore. So now you have to be happy that you don't have the things anymore. But not that I want that to happen to you. I certainly don't want that to happen to you. But the important thing is that there was this evaluation process that I went through where I really had to think about what is the value of money? How do I value it? And more importantly, what in the world do I want my life to look like? And if I didn't know what I wanted my life to look like, I couldn't even start to rebuild my money or rebuild my foundation because it just wouldn't work. It's not serving the right purpose for me. So Lastly, this is just a friendly reminder. Something that I really want you to, to take away from this is do something every day that's going to get you closer to your goals. Just one thing. It can be small or it can be large, but be proactive. Keep your head in the game. And even when you have setbacks, you're still working to set yourself up for the future. So don't get hung up on all of those benchmarks and all those numbers that people throw out that you have to be at, at this certain point or make this certain income or have this much in your savings or have this much in your 401k or not have this much debt in order for you to achieve a really strong financial future because it's just not true. And it may not be what works for you. So find what works for you and do something every day proactively that's actually going to get you there.
I think that's so great. And it's funny that you bring up the whole math thing, because there's certainly this misnomer that people think that all financial planners are these great math whiz. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm just really good at solving problems. But I use a calculator. <laughs> They're there to help you. So I, yes. I don't I don't ever want people to feel trapped in not starting to invest or not starting to do anything for themselves financially because they feel like they're not good at math. Because here we have two people, you and me both, who have said we're not great at math and yet we're in this field. So I really you know, would love to sort of break that myth if anybody's listening and maybe they're stuck on it because you don't have to be, but you're right. It's so important just to learn the language. And I think that that's something that can more easily be decoded than you think. And part of it is just finding the resources that work for you. Because unfortunately, sometimes what happens is you get onto a website or you pick up a book where they're trying to decode it, and it's still just way too complicated. So it takes a few iterations of finding what works for you. So please don't be discouraged if you pick up something and it's like, man, I still don't get this. The other thing is, like with many things in language, sometimes you have to understand other terms in order to understand the one that you're trying to learn. So trying to even think of a good example of that. But okay, if we're talking about, let's say, mutual funds and index funds, and you don't understand what actively and passively managed means, you kind of have to take steps backwards to understand those in order to move forwards to understand what we're saying about act or passively managed funds, actively managed funds, and mutual funds and index funds. Yeah, that's great advice. So I'm curious, what made you, you know, want to tackle investing this time around with a, with your book? Is it just something where you said, okay, this is a subject where I really feel passionate about? Or how did that sort of uh, conversation start? It was a couple of different factors. One is I kind of like doing things that are a little bit intimidating to me and are going to challenge me. And having to go out and do all this research certainly was that. I like to position myself in the book, not as an expert. I am a translator. I think that's the best term for it. I went out and talked to a bunch of very experienced people who have been in the investing game far longer than I have, who have the license and the certifications and all of the expertise. And I interviewed them and distilled their knowledge down in order to write this book. So it's not like, hey, me as a 29 year old who's only ever really experienced a bull market is going to tell you how to invest with no other input. Not what's happening here. <laughs> and the other thing, too, is in my first book, Broke Millennials Stop Scraping By and Get Your Financial Life Together, I had a short investing chapter towards the end. And that dominantly talked about retirement because, as I said in the beginning of this conversation, that's really people's first foray into investing most of the time. And at the end of that chapter, I had said, like, hey, here's some other books if you want to start learning more. Well, then I started getting emails and DMs and tweets that were like, hey, checked out those quote unquote beginner's books that you recommended. <laughs> These are still really complicated. Do you have anything else? And I thought, well, no, but I can write it. Yes, that's And that great. really was the inspiration. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think that that's where some of the best ideas come from is just, okay, there isn't anything out there that is really, truly for beginners. And you're right, you really need to learn the, the foundation language. And then you go to the more complicated books and you build and you expand upon it if, if that's your interest. Yep. And that's one of the first things that you see when you open my book is a letter to the reader where I say, hey, if you're a real beginner, this is for you. If you are maxing out your 401k and you have taxable accounts and you want to learn more about day trading, this is not your book. 
feel free to read it, but that's not what this book is about. This book is really for the true beginner. Yeah, that's great. Well, did you also have any other uh, aha moments maybe when you were writing this book about investing that you think everybody should know? I think the big one, and I don't know that it was necessarily an aha moment, but it really is less complicated than we think. And a lot of it honestly comes down to just seeing where you find value and making sure that you have set your goals and aligning your investments with the goals that you have set. And I think that that first step is the most often overlooked and mixed up, messed up, if you will, part of the investing process is if you are just haphazardly putting money into the market, you're not really doing it right. You have to make sure that you have set your goals and that you're investing in a way that's aligned with said goals. That's so important. I mean, anybody who listens to this podcast know that I am a, I harp over goals so much because it's the goals that then roots all of your decision making. And without those goals, like you said, you're just not, you're just throwing money, but you're really uh, putting your money places without a strategy in mind. And it's so important to back up and say, okay, what do I want my life to look like? Why am I even doing this? What is even the right amount for me to save? So many people get stuck in the, I've got to save a million or 2 million or whatever those articles suggest you need to save. But it's really about what's going to get you where you want to go. It is. And I think, too, just knowing that that is an evolving and flexible process as well, and that you need to keep readdressing them as time and life changes. Yes, absolutely. And I I know that you recently got married. Uh, Congratulations. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I would imagine that... You both have had, obviously, some of these money talks, but do you and your spouse, do you have a system or strategy that works for you to not argue over money? Is there any gem you can impart on us? Yeah, we talk about it a lot. I think that that's one of the key things is that everything is very much above board. And we also, in terms of not arguing, one of the things that I like to recommend is we do bank jointly. Everybody can do what works best for them, but we like to think of ourselves as a team. However, we each have one separate checking account and we each get a stipend every month that's just our play money on which we can spend however much we want of it on whatever we want. So there's no nitpicking at each other over ways that we spend our money that the other one might be like, "Ugh, really? You went out and did that with your money? It's like, hey, I get this amount every month. I can do what I want with it. I love that. That's how my husband and I do it. And it really provides a nice partnership and a, you get to have ownership over that little stipend and whatever you want to do is great. No questions asked. Uh, I think it's a really like efficient way to do it. So was your, was your husband uh, like all game for the money talks early on or, or was he a little hesitant? Well, we've been together for over eight years now, so this is nothing new. We've only been married for a little less than a year, but we've been together for such a long time and really have just grown up together as adults. I think it's such an important thing. And um, 
I mean, there was a little resistance years ago when we first started the process. I like to call it getting financially naked. When we first started doing that process, there was definitely a little bit of resistance. But I think most of that is just socialization of you're not supposed to talk about money. It's rude to talk about money. And a little bit of shame, I think, wrapped up in, you know, he has student loan debt. And he knew that I didn't based on the decisions that I had made for college. And I think there was a little bit of guilt and shame in that. But we just talked about it a lot, but not all at once. It's, again, an evolving conversation. And we just got ourselves to a place where it's not what would work for everyone, but it's what works for us. And it, what's, it is what makes both of us comfortable and feel at ease with how we deal with our money. Yeah, I like that. And I like that you that you stress that it's not all at one time. It's not like you have to have this giant sit down with your spouse or your partner and lay absolutely everything on the table at, at one one stop. And the, the, sometimes couples, I think, think that they need to do that. And that can be a, a danger zone <laughs> because it can be really scary. So I like that you brought up that it's just a, it's an evolving process. It can be scary. And I think the other thing, too, is there is no harm. And in fact, I would say there's a ton of value in eventually bringing in a neutral third party to talk through things with you. And that's one thing that's on our, you know, first year of marriage to do list is to hire a certified financial planner to kind of help make sure that, you know, I'm the one that writes about money and obsesses about money, but I shouldn't just be running the show. And we need to make sure that everybody's voices are being heard and that our money is truly invested in a way that makes the most sense. And I think that I need to be fact-checked to a degree. And I would love to just hire somebody to come in and take a bird's eye view at everything and give us some advice as well. Yeah, such great, such great point. Um, all right. So, uh, in addition to listening to this episode, of course, running out and grabbing your book, if let's just say I'm ready to start investing, what steps should I take? Well, the very first thing is to educate yourself. So, whether it's my book, other books, podcasts, TV shows, websites, blogs, what have you, just start to learn, especially learning the language. And I would go back to that thing that we were talking about with goals. Sit down and critically think to yourself, what are my short, medium, and long-term goals? And how much money do I need to make each of these things happen? And then once you start to gather that information, you can start to figure out, okay, how can I be investing for my medium and long-term goals in a way that aligns with both my risk tolerance and the amount of time that I have? And that's the way you can really kind of foundationally start to plan out your investing journey. And also double check what your options are at work. Do you have a 401k? Do you have a health savings account? Do you have an HSA of which you can take advantage? Look into all your different options too through any sort of workplace benefit. And for my fellow self-employed people, quick plug I always like to throw in here is that you are your own boss, which has a lot of great perks, but one of them is not a 401k through an employer with a match, which means you have to look out for yourself. One of the easiest strategies that I find is I bundle retirement investing savings, however you want to word it, into my tax plan. And by that, I mean every single time I get a paycheck, general advice is to put aside 30% in order to have enough money to pay your quarterly estimated taxes. I put aside 45%. I live in New York City, so I have to pay federal, city, and state tax. So I want to make sure I have enough. But also, it ensures that I have a remainder to put into my SEP IRA. So I'm always putting aside money for retirement. 
Wow. Such great advice, especially for those entrepreneurs. I know I've lived that life since I was 19. So you have to do it for yourself. Well, this has been so amazing, Erin. Tell everybody where they can go to grab your new book and where they can go to connect with you. So you can find the book, Broke Millennial Takes on Investing, wherever books are sold. So Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your local indie bookstore, and also hopefully your local library. If it's not there, please request it. I think people should always have access to free financial education. And in order to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at Broke Millennial Blog. You can find me on Twitter at Broke Millennial and my website is brokemillennial.com. And I'm also currently on tour. So you can check all of those platforms for the latest details on where exactly I am. And hopefully we can connect in person. Hey, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Remember to subscribe to the podcast. It's absolutely free and you'll make sure you never miss an episode of Millennial Money. You can also listen to all our episodes on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, and Pandora. 